I had the opportunity to preach at Pastor Vincent's church a message called Mission Accomplished. And basically, I'm just going to be sharing a devotional follow-up with the time that we have left on this message. I preached this back at Cornerstone back in 2012. And uh, does anybody remember this message, Mission Accomplished? I see that hand. I see that hand. This is basically a message about uh, the fact that God is sovereign over missions. John Piper says missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is primary. Missions is secondary. We do missions because there need to be more worshipers around the world. But we don't do missions out of a sense of anxiety or sense that somehow we need to help a feeble God who just can't get the job done. We do missions because God is winning and he will win. And we get to participate. I love the way Owen shared that. It's like, who are we? We are chosen to come alongside of God and participate in his plan, in his mission. And so in that message that we, I preached at the Philippines, kind of just uh, by way of review, I'm not going to spend very much time on these points at all, but you see in the Bible that God has chosen worshipers out of every tribe, tongue, and nation. We see that in Ephesians 1, is that worshipers have been chosen before the foundation of the earth. But secondly, Christ has purchased worshipers from every tri- tribe, tongue, and nation. We see that in verses like Roman, or Revelation 5, 9, where it says, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So God's already chosen people. He's already purchased them through the shed blood of Christ. And Christ will call worshipers out of every nation. That's why we have the Great Commission. And we have this incredible promise in Matthew 24 that says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. This is not a maybe or might or hope so. This is a certainty that this will be done. It's a promise from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then fourthly, Christ will be worshipped by individuals out of every tribe, tongue, and nation. How do we know that? Well, we see it in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, And these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is a future look of what's guaranteed to happen. This isn't some preview of something we hope will happen. This is the Bible saying what will happen. Mission will be accomplished. But that begs the question, how does God accomplish his mission? While God is certain to get his mission accomplished, there's no doubt in that. um, God has chosen to get his mission accomplished through means. And what are those means? So once you open up in your Bible to Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, we're going to look at a few verses together and try to answer this basic question. How does God accomplish his mission of securing worshipers out of every tribe, tongue, nation? How does he do this? Well, we could look at general revelation. You know, God does give a witness of himself and the stars and the sun, the moon. And general revelation accomplishes certain things. Romans 1 says it accomplishes condemnation, first of all. For people receive this witness, they suppress it in unrighteousness, and, and it makes them culpable. 
But also general, general revelation can soften people up as part of the process of bringing people to know the Lord. God could accomplish his mission and does partially through our good works as our good works adorn the gospel. And God has in times past and at various times in church history uh, communicated a part of his mission through things like uh, miracles, which can identify the true speakers of God. How was it that the apostles and the writers of scripture were identified? They would do miracles. However, we see even on the page of the New Testament that that was often misinterpreted, misunderstood. As we see in Acts 14, that when Paul and Barnabas did their miracles, they were wanted to be worshipped, right? As Hermes and Zeus. And so there must be a more certain way. And we see in the book of Romans, part of the burden of the book of Romans is to demonstrate that it's the power of the gospel. It's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And not just for the Jew, but for, pe- for people of all nations, right? It's one of the big themes of the book of Romans. And so it is only the gospel itself that is the power of God unto salvation. General revelation only goes so far. Good works can adorn the gospel. Miracles can point certain directions, but even the devil can, forf- can counterfeit miracles. But it's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And so we see in Romans ten nine, Paul says this, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him <clears throat> will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches to all who call on him. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jew, Gentile, all nations. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will, how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Part of what we see in the end of this part, uh, section of Romans 10 is Paul begins to ask all of his rhetorical questions and kind of builds his logic backwards. You guys see that? He kind of starts with the end result and kind of comes back to the beginning. How is it that God is going to accomplish his purposes through various means? We know when we look at the vast scope of Scripture, it's going to get done. But there is a role that we have to play. And what is that role? And so what has God chosen to do to make sure that the power of the gospel gets out there? Because part of the problem that we have, if you remember back to Romans 3, is that there's none righteous, no, not one, and none who seek for God. And so we have this default within the heart of man to not only um, reject God, but to turn absolutely away from him and not to seek him at all. And so I want to suggest basically three truths here that we get from Romans 10 that answers the question, what what are the means or how is it that God is accomplishing his purpose? And the first means is this. It's by means of sending preachers of the gospel to all people. Paul asks these rhetorical questions and works logically backwards. We're going to start down at the bottom and work our way back up. We're going to start with the end result or the actually the beginning. 
And that is the sending of preachers. Read with me again uh, in the middle of verse 14. And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So we know God's going to get his mission accomplished, but one of the ways he's getting his mission accomplished is by means of preachers being sent. Now, don't be hung up on the word preacher. The idea of a preacher is just a herald. It's someone who's going out into the street and saying, good news, good news. Um, And so we have on the pages of the New Testament local churches that are sending people out to go herald this good news. And that is a means to which God is is gaining worshipers uh, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so we want to be big into sending people who go out and preach the gospel. Have any of you guys ever uh, seen or read any of the books uh, by Lucy Montgomery, uh, Anna Green Gables? Raise your hand. Well, I see those hands. A lot more people know about that than my last sermon. Um, It's interesting in Anne of Avonlea, um, you guys know the character Rachel Lind. Um, She's the persnickety woman that eventually starts living with Morella and after her husband passes away. But in the book, she has this to say. Um, She's criticizing the, the new preachers that are coming into their vacant Avonlea pulpit. And um, she says this, the one we have now is the worst of the lot. And I can hear Rachel's voice in my head. He mostly takes a text and preaches about something else. And he says he doesn't believe all the heathen will be eternally lost. The idea, if they won't, uh, if they won't, all the money we've been given to foreign missions will be clean wasted. That's what. And so she's bringing something up in this church. The pastor is basically getting up and communicating that the heathen don't necessarily need to hear the gospel preached. They won't all be lost. And so she comes to the conclusion, then why are we giving all this money to foreign missions? And while Rachel Lynn is being made fun of on the text of this book and in the movie, she's making a very good point. If the heathen are not eternally lost without hearing the gospel, then we do need to be careful about why are we giving so much money to missions? Put it another way. If people can be saved by general revelation, what happens when the gospel comes into a village that has been saved through general revelation? Imagine that you have a a village in Africa somewhere made up of 500 people. And let's say 400 of them have sincerely believed in the general revelation of the God Zimbabwe. And then suddenly the gospel comes in and they all reject the gospel. What has been the net effect of salvation in that village? Lost. These people were doing fine without the gospel. The gospel isn't the power of God unto salvation for them. The gospel became condemnation. They would have been better off with general revelation. In other words, they'd have been better off if there were no preachers sent. Is that what Paul says? No, Paul says... We need preachers sent because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. How shall they believe? Without preachers, we need preachers sent. But we need preachers sent not just to come and do anything. We need preachers sent, number two, to come and actually give content. 
And so the second means that God is accomplishing his mission is by means of people hearing the content of the gospel. Let's look at basically the same section or most of the same section again. How will they believe in him, Jesus Christ, whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And look down at the the last line. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. These preachers are coming in and bringing content. They're bringing the gospel. You know, one of the things that missiologists are noting today is there's actually a dearth of people that want to go out and plant churches and preach the gospel. We can find dozens of people that want to go dig wells in Africa. We can find all kinds of people that want to go do social work around the around the world. But to find people that actually want to go preach the gospel and plant churches right now, we're at a, a, a low. Missionologists are saying we're at a, a low in the last hundred years. Why is that? Because we're not really believing these days that ultimate salvation is people believing the gospel. We bought into the idea that it's the physical needs of a person that are primary not the spiritual needs of a person. You know, you've probably heard it famously said, St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. I don't know how many times I've heard that quote. And while you can kind of get the idea of what he probably means in this aphorism, if you press it to its logical end, it's false. Because the gospel has content. The gospel cannot be preached non-verbally, the president of Wheaton College said, Dwayne Liffin. <clears throat> the, the gospel cannot be preached non-verbally. The gospel is inherently a verbal thing. It requires verbal expression. And so we must speak forth truth in order for people to be saved. Um, faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We must hear content to be saved. And so St. Francis needs correction in that respect. John Piper has this to say. He says, are there devout people and religions other than Christianity who humbly rely on the grace of God whom they know only through nature or non-Christian religious experience? The answer of the New Testament is clear and an earnest no. Rather, the message throughout is that with the coming of Christ, a major change has occurred in redemptive history. Uh, And that major change is that salvation once was through the mercy and faith and the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, which pointed to Christ. But now we have Christ has come in the flesh and we point people back to Christ. And so it's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Let's talk about a third means through which God is accomplishing his mission, and that is by means of people outwardly expressing faith in Christ. So we must send preachers, but we need to send preachers who are going to deliver the right content. And then we're praying that as the gospel goes out, that people will outwardly express their faith in Christ. Look back at verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. 
And so people must respond. This idea of believing in the heart and then crying out with the mouth is really two sides of the same coin. Um, is people, it's, the big idea is, is that we are crying out to the Lord for salvation and that that cry exhibits itself outwardly. It's not just some private faith that you never talk to anybody about. It's something that th- this belief must express itself because it has transformed your heart and life. <clears throat> and then in the following verses, 13 to 15, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, we've looked at that. Um, and so there's this outward call. So preachers must be sent. There must be content preached. And then we're praying that the Lord will open hearts and that they will believe. This seems to be the primary means on the pages of Scripture to which God is or Christ, God and Christ are, are accomplishing their mission. It's what we see in the book of Acts, right? They're going from city to city, preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. Then they're establishing churches. They go to the next place. and They're preaching the gospel again. And yet we are living in an age right now where many, not just liberal denominations, but even more conservative evangelical denominations are starting to flirt with the idea. And some not just flirt with the idea that people can be saved without confessing Christ. That they can be saved within Islam. If they're believing sincerely their Islamic belief, uh, God will look upon them with mercy because they've done the very best they can do. And there's very there's uh, many different versions of this. I'll post them on Facebook. There's about nine different versions of this idea that basically says that people can be either people will be saved universally or people can be saved without actually reading or hearing the gospel. And the, what, are, what would be the motivation for suggesting that people can be saved without hearing the gospel? What do you think the motivation is? The motivation is to try to protect God from being unjust. Is because the idea there is, is if people don't hear of Christ in some country in Africa or Asia and they die, what will happen to them? Well, the answer that comes from many is is God will either give them another chance to hear the gospel or he'll just judge them according to the knowledge that they have in general revelation and other such answers. <clears throat> but the New Testament and the Old Testament seem to be pretty clear on this regard. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. No other name must be saved. Um, when you get to the book of Revelation, the people that are in heaven are people who have proclaimed Christ as Lord. And and so how would we answer this question without compromising what the scripture says? How is it that God is going to deal with people who have not had the opportunity to hear? Well, first of all, that's why we have the great commission and God is telling us to go out. Right. He says we need to send Preachers, preachers need to preach so that people can have the opportunity to call upon the Lord. You know, what we're finding we're finding in the Philippines and our, our team I can verify this is as they were opening up their mouth for the gospel. People were wanting to hear and people were wanting to talk. So many times when I talk to people in the United States, <clears throat> I've got this imaginary kind of opponent in my head that says the person I'm about ready to talk to They know so much about the Bible. They're a knowledgeable rejecter of Christianity. And nine times out of ten, when I talk to someone, 
they have less than a Sunday school knowledge about Scripture. And many times as I'm talking to them, they're like, wow, I never knew that. Um, and, and so the fields are white with harvest. We must go out into the world to preach the gospel. There's other things that we could say. Um, I can't really get into every single argument. You can look at the Noah's Ark argument, which is basically that everybody had the true religion when we got off the ark as a, as a human race. So when we all got off the ark, eight of us, everybody had the true faith, right? And so every movement away from the gospel has been the responsibility of human beings. And so it's a father not passing on the gospel to his children and those children not passing on the gospel to their children. So where we're at today with world religions is really on us as a human race. We all have the true religion when we got off the ark. Um, I can send you guys some notes on general revelation. I've already talked to you about the village argument. Let me end with this amazing illustration and then a couple applications. We'll have to wrap it up. You guys, some of you have probably heard this illustration before because you guys, it's one of my favorite stories in church history. But it really goes well with our message this morning because it involves Baggio and Manila. And um, it's a story about Mitsuo Fuchida, who was the lead pilot that attacked Pearl Harbor uh, during World War II. <clears throat> he was one of the um, pilots that helped develop the attack plan, and he actually led the attack. He's the one that called out on the radio that we have achieved surprise. And, um, but after the war, <clears throat> he um, went back to just being a farmer. And he began just growing vegetables and tomatoes and things in his garden. And it just began to be amazing to him that he put seed in the ground and then up comes food. And he said he just remembered being overwhelmed with the process and just was saying to himself, there must be a God. And so general revelation was God was using general revelation to soften his heart, but he had no idea what the answers were to his own sin. He had no idea where to go or where to cry out. But then one day he came across a little track that was written by a gentleman named Jacob de Shazar who was one of the pilots who uh, led the attack on Tokyo early in the war. Um, and this, this Jacob de Cesar <clears throat> was became a POW. Long story short, he came to know the Christ by reading a New Testament and then wrote this track. And so <clears throat> Mitsuo Fuchida, never having met a Christian, is reading the Christian testimony of Jacob de Cesar and how that Jacob forgave his enemies and began to minister to Japanese people. And so now the content of the gospel began to take hold and interact with the general revelation that was already moving in his heart. Beyond that, he came into contact finally with the story of a Miss Peggy Cavell. Peggy Cavell was a daughter of missionaries in Japan who spent her whole time in the United States during World War II. And she, her parents were ministering in Yokohama. After the outbreak of the war, they had to move to Manila. And so they were in Manila, 
But when the United States started to come back and retake Manila, they went up to Baguio, which is where we were ministering, and they began to hide in Baguio. The Japanese, as they were getting run out of Manila, they went up into Baguio and they found this missionary couple who had a radio. They thought that the radio meant that they were spies and they beheaded this couple up in Baguio. Peggy Cavell found out about what had happened to her parents and just hatred filled her heart uh, for the Japanese. But then she began to reflect upon her parents and what their attitude must have been right before their death. And she knew that her parents would be praying for their executioners. And so the Lord began to work on her heart. And so before the war was over, she began to go to a Japanese POW prison and minister to Japanese soldiers and bring them blankets and bring them food and bring them sushi and whatnot. And these soldiers began to ask her, why are you doing this for us? She said, because Japanese soldiers killed my parents. And I know that they preached the gospel and forgave them. And God has called me to forgive as well. And so I'm bringing the gospel to you through my good works. She had good works. Her good works adorned the gospel. But she didn't just stop with the good works. She preached the gospel to these Japanese soldiers, one of which was named Kazuo. Kazuo never came to know the Lord. But he went back to Japan. He he was repatriated. And on the dock uh, in Japan, he came into contact with his good old friend Mitsuo Fuchida. And he says, Mitsuo, you will never believe what happened to me when I was in the United States. And he tells Mitsuo the whole story about Peggy Cavell. And here's what Mitsuo Fuchida said. He said, this beautiful story overwhelmed me and made me ashamed. This totally contradicted the Japanese ethic of revenge. <clears throat> and, and Mitsuo Fuchido, Fuchida, never having met a Christian, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ that day. It wasn't because of the general revelation that he received when he was planting in the garden. It wasn't just because of the good works that he heard that Peggy Cavell did. It was the message of Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sin. All of these things worked together, but it was the content of the gospel that changed his heart and opened up his eyes. And then he had to go try to find a Christian. Mitsuo Fuchida in the post-war days began to preach the gospel all throughout Japan and saw hundreds and hundreds of Japanese people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Eventually he came to Pearl Harbor, preached the gospel at Pearl Harbor, and he asked all of the people gathered there, many of whom had hatred in their eyes, asked them for forgiveness for bombing Pearl Harbor. That's the power of the gospel. That's how God is getting his mission accomplished. Will you be someone that will be willing to go? Will you be someone who is, is willing to send? You guys already have. Just by sending our team, you guys get the credit for everything that happened this last week. Our church, really, um, we get to reap the benefits of having the greens in the Philippines. <clears throat> will you continue to pray? Will you continue to give? And I'm praying that the Lord will raise up <clears throat> more of us um, to not just go out to places like the Philippines, but that, that we'll be more and more emboldened to share the power of the gospel right here in our own context. Let's go ahead and pray.
Lord, we thank you so much for the power of the gospel. We know that this is not a mission that might happen, but it will happen because you are almighty God. The gates of hell will not prevail. And we thank you for your wisdom and your masterful plan in calling us as a local church to send out preachers of the gospel. That doesn't mean just pastors. It means people are willing to go out and herald and uphold the good news. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word that's so clear and so we can have the right content, the power of the gospel unto salvation. And we pray that, God, by your grace and by your sovereignty, Lord, that you'd open up many eyes, that we would see many this next year outwardly call upon you. We pray for the ministry of Guiding Light Church. You bless them as they reach out in Baguio. Uh, the outreach in Felix. We pray for those in Mindanao, Christians that are being persecuted in many ways in some of these heavy Muslim areas. <clears throat> we pray, Lord, for uh, Pastor Vincent and his, his family, Kim, the Ransoms, Pastor Celso. Lord, you just bless the Philippines. <clears throat> we also pray for Calvary Bible Church. Lord, just it was great to partner with them this last uh, couple weeks. We pray that you bless their ministry. And Lord, we ask that you would just grow us as a church. Lord, that we would grow in our boldness, in our excitement for evangelism, for missions. Lord, that we go out in great hope and expectation that this mission will be accomplished for your glory. And you will have worshipers from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. In Christ's name we pray. All God's people said, amen.